Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host. Today, I'm bringing you uh, a discussion with Eric Prisbell. Eric is the uh, college beat reporter, or excuse me, college sports beat reporter for On3 National. Uh, how are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great, Bobby. Good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, I just want to go straight to it. Friday night, The Athletic wrote a story uh, about uh, a mega deal, the largest one I've heard of on the college level, uh, $8 million or so. Give us the rundown of what you know about uh, the story and uh, what you think it means. Ab absolutely. And this caught everybody's attention when it dropped the other, the other night. And I think it was, it's fair to be surprised by the dollar, by the dollar amount for sure. I was surprised by the language within, you know, the contract that was reported. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but I'm not surprised at all that a collective is creating an NIL deal worth multi-millions of dollars for an athlete who's still in high school. That's where we're at. And we, we could dig into that a little bit later on, but it's an arms race that is well underway right now among collectives of blue blood programs to try to generate, bring in enough funds to secure the best recruiting classes in the country. That's not all collectives, but that is the ambition of the most aggressive ones out there. With this specific contract, it's an unnamed player in the athletic story, and bravo to Stuart Mandel and, and the crew over there for getting this story, seeing the contract. Uh, we don't know what state the athlete is in, but there are certainly signs that point to the state of California, which has among the loosest state regulations for NIL among high school athletes, and I believe the attorney involved in the contract is also based in Newport Beach. So we know that. With this, with this deal, I believe there's a $350,000 immediate uh, compensation package for the high school athlete, and then there's escalating monthly uh, compensation, you know, uh, checks, if you will, amounting to as much as $2 million, you know, per year, and in total, we're talking about $8 million by the time the athlete, you know, is in the later stages of, of colleges, of his college. It opens up a lot of questions, and I'm sure we could touch upon them. Yeah, according to Man's, uh, uh, Mandel, uh, the, and I agree with you, well-reported story. Uh, according to Mandel, the other issue that I, or other couple of issues I found interesting that I want to go over with you is, one is, it wasn't for a specific school because that would be against NCAA rules, but clearly it's for a specific school. How are they massaging around that uh, thought process in your opinion? I'm so glad you brought that up. I love how the contract reportedly says, this is not an inducement. Oh, okay, we'll take your word for it. $8 million and you're connected to a school and that's not an inducement. Hey, just because you say it's so, that, that's not necessarily the case. I can say I don't have you know, gray hair coming in, you know, each day. And I I'm 44 and I certainly do. So they're not the judge and jury on that. Uh, they are, they are not operated by a university. They run independent of the university, but they are affiliated closely with a university. Uh, we don't know what collective it is, but there are boosters, prominent boosters or alums or business individuals with that university in mind, in their hearts. And that's why they developed this collective. So they're affiliated with the university. They're offering this, this top five-star athlete, you know, as much as $8 million a year. To me, that certainly qualifies as an inducement to go to that particular school. The other issue 
in the language, it says that, you know, you, you have to be a member of a team. Well, the NCAA doesn't have a lot of rules regarding NIL, but they do have two. One we touched upon with inducement, recruiting inducement. The other is pay for play. And to me, that strikes at the heart of that. That that is an issue in my mind. If you say that you have to be a member of the team, uh, there are issues related to injury. What happens if you suffer an injury and you can't compete when, once you're on that team? What happens if you don't play well? I mean, we've seen other situations with you know quarterbacks around the country on the basketball side. Amani Bates, you know, at Memphis uh, has injuries. You know, didn't really work out this year. It could go sideways in any number of ways. And for this language to be in the contract, as it is reported to be, you know, is a real surprise and, and raises red flags. Here is my take on this. And, and, and I want to give you this is where you and I uh, ha- have to to try to uh, put this in proper perspective for pe- for people. Um, Quinn Ewers is Texas now at Texas, right? He left high school early from the state of Texas to go to Ohio State because he had a seven-figure endorsement deal waiting on him. If he would have stayed in high school, he couldn't have collected that money, right? This young man that we're talking about, the, the, the $8 million over three or four years, whatever the, it is, we, don't, we think he's from California. He, wouldn't, he doesn't have to leave school early to go get that money, Right. And so I find it intriguing. Uh, now Quinn Ewers has come back to Texas and and and, and going to uh, compete for the starting job in the long at the long or with the Longhorns. My question is, you know, why so many varying rules about this? Not only on the high school level that we're talking about here, but I mean state by state on the college level. I mean, what is the what is the solution for? this to have a singular rule across the board for both high school and college or or is it just a free-for-all and if if it, if it is let's say it is and and get down to brass tacks and everybody can move their laws around as they see fit it sounds like the state of Alabama is in the process of doing that right now to relax some of its laws I mean where are you at on this Eric and and where do you think the future lies great way to put it Bobby there is no leadership in this industry, in the NIL world right now. And that falls squarely, in my opinion, on the NCAA. There's been a vacuum of, of leadership uh, as long as Mark Emmert's been there, to be honest with you. And he has not provided it on this, in this space in particular. We saw last year states try to get ahead of this. And they created NIL laws that, looking back now, are, are very restrictive, Everybody was assuming that the NCA would be would do a little bit more than what they did, obviously. Then came the Austin ruling in the, in the U.S. Supreme Court, and that changed everything. It was the, it changed the whole ball game. And the NCAA, since that point, and still to this day, is very reluctant to impose any NIL restrictions because it could be seen as limiting compensation. And this also pertains to their motivation or lack of motivation to get into the enforcement uh, battle with NIL deals. And we could, we could touch on that. What the NCAA wants desperately is for some federal intervention. They want Congress to come in here and create a federal you know, law 
guidelines, some guardrails that are universal state to state on the high school level, certainly on the college level. We don't have anything resembling that right now. And what we're seeing is the states that put in those restrictive laws last year, now they're going in reverse. They're saying, hey, wait a second. Our, our student athletes in our state are at a disadvantage. We don't need to do this. So Alabama moved to repeal their law. Florida and some others are moving toward amending their law to make it looser, to help schools be in better position to facilitate NIL deals if those school policies allow. But it's all moving in that direction toward a looser, uh, you know, more deregulation, if you will, and more of the Wild West atmosphere that we've talked about. Yeah, I think it's a tightrope we have to walk, right? Um, because not allowing a talented 18-year-old or 17-year-old to make as much money as they humanly possibly can for their talent is almost anathema to what the universe, to what America is all about. I mean, go be a, a, a pop singer and make billions, but if you're a football player, you can't make any money until you're 21. I, 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 think, I feel like that there's a tightrope that has to be walked. I mean, um, I look at it and, and I'm wondering as we talk about this, and this is where I just, I feel like any federal law is going to be, uh, you know, looked upon, upon impinging upon a, a person's rights to make money that way too. And so I don't see, uh, I don't see the Republican end of this. Republicans aren't going to say, Hey, let's, let's curb, curb the money that can be spent on kids making money that they, that, that a free market is. I mean, Republican is, is all about free market. Democrats, I don't see them as a rallying cry because this is a way a lot of these, these uh, young players are not from the richest of, <laughs> of families and it's, it's seen as a way out. Um, and so I don't see them uh, either way. I, I, I just, I don't see a, I don't see the rallying cry being meaningful enough on either side to produce legislation, which means to me, and, and I go back to this with the the, the uh, NCAA, there is a failed leadership on, on this topic. I don't think there's any question. Uh, I go back and I asked Chris Del Conte, the, the athletic director of the University of Texas last week about the Knight Commission report two years ago uh, that said that football should separate from the rest of the NCAA. F FBS level football should just separate. But, you know, that's not the only problem. The, only, the, the reason the NCAA wants to keep everything but football is because football doesn't make it any money. They want to oversee basketball, so they're fine putting um, legislation in place on Bronny James, you know, LeBron's kid, uh, potentially, and trying to manage that because they've got a billion-dollar payday on the other end. But come Quinn Ewers or this heretofore named quarterback that we're talking about today – it's a complete void of, it's almost an abdication of responsibility, right? They just want to cut and run. Um, as it relates to enforcement, what are the actual um, laws in place that they can, that the NCAA could actually uh, maneuver around and uh, be party to, 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 to help manage some of this process? Is there anything on the books? I mean, other than the two you mentioned, it just, Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. 
take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Great question. And I want to touch upon something you just said. I don't begrudge these athletes at all for, you know, earning and accepting as much compensation as, as they can get, because they should have been getting it for a hundred years. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Okay. But we also have to look at where the whole industry is headed, you know, at brought from a broader perspective. And we are certainly engaged in this arms race right now among collectives where it's starting to become obvious that the, the top 10, 15 blue blood programs are going to further separate themselves from everybody else. You know, and what does that mean, you know, in terms of college sports, that all of these 1,200 members are under the same big tent? You know, is it time for separation? Is it a semi-professional league? You know, we have to enter- entertain all of those things. But I've had really intelligent sources, plugged-in sources, tell me, when you see a deal like this reported, NCA is happy. Why are they happy? Because they're saying maybe this, maybe this one will get the attention. It's so extreme. Maybe it'll get the attention of Congress. And maybe that will be the only thing to spark some you know, federal intervention here. Because when you talk about NCA enforcement of NIL deals, there's two different elements involved. The will to do it and the ability to do it. Does the NCA have the will to go in and investigate these NIL deals and really, you know, impose some sanctions on schools or athletes that are running afoul of, of the rules? You know, they're asking questions right now, asking questions of BYU, Miami, Oregon. They're asking questions. This is not a formal investigation. There's not a notice of allegations. And I believe, and other people I've talked to believe, they want you to think that they're investigating, you know, these, these schools that they're really coming in hard. I don't buy it. I, I don't, I don't think that their enforcement arm re- regarding NIL has any teeth at all. And I don't think they have the will to do it. When you talk about the ability to do it, we know it's hard enough for the NCA to go into and recruit and investigate garden variety, recruiting allegations, scandal, you know, but money being funneled, you know, from a, a certain booster in the old days, you know, to, uh, to an AAU coach, or to an athlete, uh, they have enough trouble with that. Now we're talking about trying to establish intent. You know, the transaction of the money is not the issue. It's the intent. Was it a recruiting inducement? How are you going to prove that? And how are you going to prove that without subpoena power? A high school athlete doesn't have to talk to you. He's in high school. The boosters don't have to talk to you. The collective doesn't have to, uh, you know, uh, cooperate with your investigation. They have their hands full. They know it. And right now they're begging for some federal intervention. I don't see it coming anywhere, you know, around the corner right now. Uh, but, but I think that's, that's their best hope. One of the things that I found unique to this deal, uh, and I think you agree with me, is that this collective, uh, the deal is, includes a level of exclusivity, Correct. So they, the, the, the collective is purchasing essentially all of his NIL rights through this period of time. Uh, so there's no additional money, but they can parse it out to Coca-Cola or, you know, <laughs> uh, Rocket Mortgage or whoever, right? And 
they control that $8 million pie, maybe the, the, the young man will get kickers on top of it as performance goes up. But for they're basically buying his NIL, NIL rights entirely for $8 million bucks. Is that That's different than other deals we've seen to this point, correct? Yeah, and it's dangerous. I mean, I don't understand why an athlete of this caliber, five-star, obviously coveted, any school would, 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 would want him, you know, no question about it, would, would see an advantage in engaging in this type of activity that would require him to give up his exclusive NIL rights. There's something called a transfer portal out there. We've heard of it. We've seen it, uh, you know, thousands, hundreds. I mean, countless people are transferring year in and year out for any number of reasons. This student athlete could be great his first year, year and a half. Things go sour. He takes off to another school. What happens then? Does Is, is the collective motivated to create NIL activity and to still compensate this athlete if he's at a rival school? It just seems ridiculous. Uh, why would the athlete trust the collective to do that? Wouldn't the athlete then be involved in another collective that's connected to his new school? It creates a whole lot of issues and, and things to really unwrap here as we look at this contract. But it I seems, just, and I'm not sure it's in the advantage. You know, it, I don't think it's in the best interest of the athlete. I, I just thought of something, actually, you know, unless they got a personal guarantee on the collective itself. If right. there's only one player in a collective, right? If there's only one player, um, the guy decides to go in the transfer portal or doesn't perform, uh, the collective just files bankruptcy. And, the, you know, the, the, then there's then there's no more money due. Uh, but, but I'm sure the lawyers may have worked that out. I, you know, I, I haven't seen the contract. Um, my, my question next to you is about the home state uh, thing. Um, Right now, California and a couple other states are the only ones that allow their high school players uh, uh, access to NIL dollars. Is that correct? It is. I mean, it varies around the country and states increasingly are, you know, enacting NIL laws that will allow their high school athletes to some degree to be able to monetize their brands. We've seen activity, I believe, in New Jersey and New York recently. Uh, California was 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 really on the forefront of this, and obviously, so many talented high school players throughout the state. You, we've seen some take advantage of it, but that's exactly right with Quinn Yours and why he had to go, you know, and and kind of you know graduate early and and leave the state of Texas if he wanted to monetize his brand um, because he couldn't do it as as a high school athlete in Texas. You're in Texas. I'm up in Allen, Texas. I have no idea why Texas did not get ahead of this and realized we have an opportunity to not only allow our high school athletes, which are, who are really good here, to monetize their brands, but also make Texas an, an attractive destination point for other high school athletes who may want to come here. You know, I, I think that would be something that Texas would be interested in doing. And I'm surprised that they didn't get out ahead of this, much like California did. Yeah, I, I find it interesting because Allen and McKinney, and that area that you're up in is, a, is an arms race for high school football, right? I mean, there's indoor facilities out the. I mean, you know, it's, it's very interesting um, in comparison to the rest of the country, right? Um, tell me this, and this is more from a University of Texas perspective. Um, how do you feel the University of Texas has handled some of its uh, 
collectives and or uh, there was the the pancake factory as well there's the the uh, occupy left field which is a baseball collective which i think is kind of cool because it's sports specific uh, and then there's also the clark field collective which is this mega fund uh, that is uh, playing a role for the university of texas uh, what what are your what is your thoughts specifically on Texas and how they're handling NIL at, right now? Not just from an well in, in two ways. I want to ask. I'm sorry, administratively. So from the Chris Del Conte uh, part of the world, the, the athletic directorship, and then also these outside interests and how they're perceived vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the college sports industry at this point. I think when people write the book on the first year or two of the NIL space, Texas collectives, Texas boosters will get a chapter in that book. They have played a prominent role in helping to shape the industry over the last couple months. And it started with the collectives that, that were announced, that, that launched. I, I've reported on it. I've talked to the individuals who founded those. Uh, I think they're very good. I think they're strong. I think they set the agenda at the time for the rest of the industry. And I can tell you, it, it, it sent a message to other athletic directors. It sent a message to top donors and boosters for other schools. We got to wake up. We got to get with this because Texas is doing this. They're out in front. They're very aggressive. From a collective standpoint, a booster standpoint, Texas has been as, as good as anybody. And I think those collectives are really strong. Uh, you know, from a school standpoint, I, I, Ohio State is one that really jumps out to me as being among the leaders. Uh, but I think Texas has done a good job overall. I think they have incredible amount of resources, uh, not only in Austin, but, you know, throughout the state. And their reach is so, so profound. Uh, they are uniquely and ideally positioned to take advantage and benefit in the NIL era because of that deep network of deep pocketed boosters, passionate boosters, you know, that you and I know so well, uh, I expect them to continue to thrive. I really do. Uh, talking with Eric Prisbell, uh, national business reporter for on three, Eric, um, i step away from NIL only right now. Uh, what are the other things in, in sports business for on the college level that you're really got your eye on right now that maybe you could, illuminate some others uh, about you know it's it's one thing and it's the possibility the potential of athletes being deemed employees of the universities sometime in the next you know year or two it, it's it's like a freight train right now bobby that's that's running down the tracks and i don't know what's going to stop it i don't know if it if people want it to be stopped but i also don't think if i don't think people realize the full implications of what may occur if athletes are deemed employees of universities uh, and one way or another whether it's through legislation whether it's through uh, you know court battles whether it's through the national labor relations board and some challenges there uh, this is going to happen at least initially with some subset of athletes in this country and then it could grow from there uh what this means for athletes is that they would have collective bargaining rights from top to bottom and they would need to negotiate every aspect of their employment with the university uh they would negotiate it it's unclear whether they, they would negotiate it with the university with the conference or with the ncaa uh but nothing would be guaranteed like it is now so yeah, you, you, could, you could get some revenue sharing there. 
you, you can get some other perks, but could you also be fired? You're an employee. There's a lot of, you have to negotiate practice schedule. There's so much that people don't realize that, hey, at the end of the day, all athletes may not benefit from this. Some would. Do the football players in the SEC have more leverage, you know, than the field hockey players, you know, in the where whatever conference you want to talk about? Yeah, just slightly. So everybody's not on the same level playing field here in terms of athletes. And there are an incredible amount of questions of how this may play out. But the biggest thing that I keep hearing is, wait a second here. Are athletes sure they want this? This is not all that it may be cracked up to be. And all athletes may not benefit long-term if they do have collective bargaining rights and are deemed employees. That's the biggest thing in college sports right now. So you think it's a labor a unionization of sorts, um, potentially, for all sports. I mean, I, I just see what I could see happening almost immediately is sports getting dropped like a hot potato. I mean, no, no, who's going to want, you know, to add X amount of employees to their payroll um, as a university? And I'm sure there are even within that, then, since all of these universities typically take um, uh, national funds or, you know, proceeds, they're going to be, um, how do I want to say it? They're going to be, uh, implied to have to also live by title nine. Right. And so, you know, there's, I, I just don't know how all it's going to go together. I mean, that, that's my, I hear you on, on labor relations and unionization and where that's all going. I just don't, I mean, is that the end of college sports as we know it, or is it just more of a vetting out process? I feel like, and I want to hear you as it relates to NIL, I think this is the just the next iteration of college sports, right? I don't think it's a total redo of what college sports is. Um, people, kids like it or not, some of them are getting free dinners and free cups of coffee for a long time, right? This puts some of it above board. So it, it, it is different and it changes, uh, recruiting changes perception a little bit, but it's just more college sports you get into unionization and start whacking college sports entirely, like entire, you know, the rowing team or the field hockey team, as you mentioned, that changes the dynamic of college sports altogether. Right. And, I, and I, that's where I, I'm interested to see if, if things go. I completely agree. And, and if you did bring in that element where athletes are deemed employees of universities, you're dead on title line implications galore. And, and potential Title IX investigations. And that's what complicates all of this even further. And I think Title IX would really become a prominent issue that we all would look into and focus on at that point. I think the NIL era has been fantastic. Um, you know, we're what, eight months in, seven months in? It's still working itself out. And it's been incredible to cover because, you know, starting July 1st, you had all these cool deals and, you know, nice headlines and all this. And that was all great. It started to change and it, it changed really, I think with, with national signing day for college football. And that's where it really was. Hey, it's gone. It's gone a little extreme here. And, and there's some, you know, collectives involved and in really buying recruits and above board. So the whole country got to see what a lot of us have known has gone on for a long time, you know, under the table. And now it's shined a light on that. 
that it's incredibly competitive. There's a lot of money involved. It benefits coaches. It benefits the entire university if a football team is doing well on the field. And therefore, it's advantageous to everybody involved to get the best recruits on campus. And they're going to spend whatever they can do to get that the boosters involved. Uh-huh. Nobody should be that boosters are involved in high-level college athletics. Interesting. Uh, on three uh, produces NIL rankings for p- prospects. I, th- I think that's the only place that does it that's a media company, a true media company, just to show you uh, how big of a factor it can be uh, in college sports going forward. Uh, Eric Prisbell, national business reporter uh, for On3. Uh, appreciate you for your time today on this Sunday. Uh, best of luck to you and yours, and uh, we'll see you soon, Eric. It's been a pleasure, Bobby. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right. Take care now.